right, we're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. You'll find it in the bulletin on page 8, three different translations, including the Greek text. I'll say more about that in a moment. Uh, Or you may want to follow along in the Pew Bible or your own Bible. I encourage you to turn in one place or the other to Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 17 to 24. In the Pew Bible, it begins on page 978. If you would please stand. Paul is writing to the church he loves in Ephesus. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would please send your sovereign spirit upon us, the same spirit that moved your servant Paul to write these words. May your spirit, that same spirit, Father, now write these words on our hearts that we might truly, Father, hear your voice, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times today. We've prayed about it. This is the back to school season. Uh, raise your hand if you are a teacher. Yeah, we have several teachers here among us. Guys, you are heroes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your giving your life to teach, uh, to educate, to help young minds. As they grow up, it is an exciting thing, and we sincerely appreciate your willingness to do that. Uh, Raise your hand if you are a student. Wow. You notice my hand is raised. Uh, Thank you. Put your hand up. I'm a student, too. Did you know that? I'm I'm starting a new class in a couple of weeks, and everything I find out about the class makes me more and more nervous. Uh, (laughs) Uh, To all of the students here today, uh, just know that the Lord is involved in all of this. He is going to use it for your good in one way or another. It will be challenging, perhaps very challenging. But one of the great things about education is the process itself is helpful and important. What you're learning is important, but the process itself is important. Because it not only opens the door to specific things you learn, it opens the door to a lifetime of learning. 
And so, uh, as Will said a moment ago, just know we are praying for our teachers, we are praying for our students, whether you are a student in grammar school, graduate school, or somewhere in between, we will be praying that the Lord uses this time to bless you, and uh, we're confident that he will. Well, that's literally been on my mind all this week, as we've been thinking about today, as we've been thinking about all the things going on in the church, talked to a few of you about uh, teaching, talked to a few of you about starting classes. Uh, It's on all of our minds, and it's actually a good thing to have on our minds as we look at this passage this morning, this idea of education and learning. It's, uh, It's an appropriate thing for us to be thinking about as we look at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, because Paul understood the importance of education, not only the subject matter, but the process itself, and we're going to be thinking a little bit about that this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have it open already, please open to the passage because I want you to see it's not something I'm cooking up. This is actually God's word to us, and I think it's a timely word. Now, I want to bring uh, four points this morning, and you'll find them on page 9, a little outline to make sure we wind up together at about uh, the right time. Four points, the futile mind, the corrupt life, the renewed mind, and the transformed life. Those are the four headings I'll be using as we look at this passage today. First of all, look at verses 17 and 18. This is what Paul has to say about the futile mind. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Paul has a lot to say about the futile mind. Um, He is concerned about the church in Ephesus and the possibility that uh, in spite of their participating in the church, they could still have a futile mind. And so he he says to them and he testifies, and the word is, it's where we get the word martyr. This is, this is an urgent word, a, a serious word in the Lord Jesus, that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. If there was a timely word for Christians in the year 2022, uh, I'd say this would be a very good contender for a particularly timely word, a good thing for us to be thinking about here at Metrocrest in the year of grace 2022. Brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by this futility in thinking, this darkness, he says, verse 18. Darkness and understanding, alienation because of ignorance. We're surrounded by it. Our children are surrounded by it. This darkness. I told you I'm going to be taking a class. Well, the class I'm going to be taking is Greek 1. I took Greek 35 years ago. uh, Used the same textbook I'm going to be using. And I thought this was going to be just a basic introductory Greek class. Sure, I can handle that. Turns out, Greek 1 at Reformed Seminary Dallas is one of their most difficult classes. So pray for me. Pray for Brian. Brian, uh, <laughs> Brian's taking it as well. Um, Brian Ray. Um, yeah, pray. 
because um, we are going to be learning a very challenging new subject, this idea of, of bringing a foreign language. So, if you'll look on page 8, you'll see several translations of the Bible. You have the ESV at the top, that's the translation we usually use. The uh, NIV at the middle, that's a very widely used evangelical translation of the Bible. And then at the bottom of page 8, you'll see the Greek New Testament. Pros Ephesios, chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. And that, based on the best manuscripts we have available that I could find online, is this passage written out for us in Greek. Uh, This passage has a lot to say to us about futility. It has a lot to say to us about ignorance and darkness. Uh, Whatever translation you read, and the English translations are uh, combined in capturing the same basic point, that Paul is writing to the church, challenging them to beware of the danger of a futile mind. And we live in a world that has a futile mind. And as I look around the world today and interact with people, see things online, read news articles, same things you read and see and hear, I'm so often struck by the darkness, the, the uh, ignorance, uh, the futility of the mind of this world where we live. Uh, a world that is blessed with wealth and health And so many wonderful blessings, opportunities to go to school and learn. Just incredible opportunities. And yet, as I look around the world, what I see is so much futility. So much darkness. This word, futile, of course that's an English word. If you look at the second line of the Greek text, the uh, fourth word end, you'll see in Greek... Matai uh, teti. That is the Greek word that is translated futile. And what it actually means is uh, aimless, due to lacking purpose or any meaningful end, nonsense because transitory. Ignorance, aimlessness, futility. As I look around the world, I see so much of that. Aimlessness. No meaningful end in mind. Just people pursuing self and what they want to do. And I say there because it creeps into my life as well and into your life. We're all infected by this. We have to be on guard of it. And that's why Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus because they also had to be on guard. Said, so don't do that. This is urgent. You must no longer walk as they do in the futility of their minds. We must no longer have the world's way of looking at things. He makes the point that this futile way of thinking, this futile mind, secondly leads to a certain way of life. He calls it walking. Walking as the Gentiles do. He says in verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, ignorant due to their hardness of heart. And then look at verse 19. They have become callous 
and have given themselves up to what? To sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Sound familiar? A futile mind will do that. Aimlessness, ignorance in our minds over time will shape the way we walk, the way we live, the kind of life we have. A bit later on, down in uh, verse, uh, bit later on, in, down in verse twenty-two, he talks about corruption, a corrupt mind, corrupt desires. A futile mind will lead to a corrupt life. Lead us to walk out. That means to, to walk through life. Peripateo. It's a word that the Greeks use metaphorically to mean walking through life. We use it in the same way. Paul said that a corrupt life is the result of a futile mind. And we see a lot of that too. We see so much corruption in the world around us. Futility of thinking that leads to corrupt living. And you'll notice this close connection between the state of our minds and the state of our lives, as Paul describes it here, is, is sort of a spiral. It, gets, it starts bad, and it gets worse and worse and worse. That's the way he's describing it. He, he talks about a hardness of heart. He, he talks about a, a, what becomes a callousness. You know what callous is? A callous is a, it's like a, a place where uh, you, you, you lose sensation. You get a callus on your hand or on your foot or somewhere on your body and it's, you begin to lose sal, uh, sensitivity. You begin to not feel as intensely and you can lose feeling completely in the callousness. Well, in this spiral Paul is describing, it goes from hardness of heart to callousness, having cast off, he says, all feeling. And then it leads to a kind of sensuality and that leads to a, what he calls a greediness. We all know what greed is when it comes to money. Well, he says you can have that same idea about every kind of impurity. So it's this horrible downward spiral that starts in the heart and the way of thinking. And it leads to a loss of sensation. We become unaware of it. It leads to sensuality which leads more and more and more to a growing greediness to practice, well, he says, every kind of impurity. I don't know that every person, that, any, that everybody who is experiencing this spiral does every kind of imaginable impurity, but every kind of imaginable impurity is the effect on someone. This greediness, this callousness, this corruption of life. Well, brothers and sisters, that's the world we live in. It's a world that's confused and darkened in thinking, and it's a world that increasingly is in the spiral of destruction, the spiral of losing sensibility and sensitivity to things, and just gets crazier and crazier and further and further removed from the truth. And Paul wanted the church to know they were vulnerable to that, and they should resist that. I think knowing we're vulnerable to it is a very important point. He wrote this to them for a reason. A church that he loved, that he knew about, who had witnessed the work of God, could nevertheless 
wind up with futile thinking and corrupted lives. That can happen in the church. So he he cautions us, beware, this is a possibility. And then he says, resist it, don't do it. Don't walk that way. And that's a very, very timely word for us as we face another new year of grace and mercy at Metrocrest. We're getting ready to celebrate our anniversary. I've mentioned that a hundred times. I'll keep talking about it because it's on my mind. The Lord has brought us in this season of growth to new opportunities, new challenges. Well, as we enter this new year, let's enter it with our eyes open to the challenges in front of us. Futility of thinking, which can infect the church, and corruption of life, which can infect the church. Now, Paul's not a big one just to point out problems and leave it there. He points out problems and gives a solution. So what is the antidote? What is the solution to this reality of futility and corruption? Well, he tells us the answer is renewal and transformation. Look at what he says in verses 20 and 21. He writes, well, backing up to, uh, yeah, verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. He says, you, you didn't learn Christ that way. And then he uh, has a little parenthetic thought. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. See, Paul understands the Christian life as being anchored in having heard and having learned. Having heard of Christ and having learned of Christ. As the truth, he says, is in Jesus. Now that is the antidote to the futile mind and the corrupt life. The antidote is Jesus. The antidote is to learn Christ. To to learn about him, of course, to be introduced to him, and then to be taught in him. To be taught in him. That is a description in a few words of the Christian life. We hear about him, and then we're taught in him. Now, one of the sad realities of evangelical church life is sometimes we hear about him and we stop there that's a problem that's a problem because we hear about Jesus that's essential and then as we hear about him we learn in him we grow in him we are discipled in him I mean, I talk all the time about the mission of the church, and I believe it with all my heart, but the mission of the church is not to make church members, people who will check a box or write a check. The purpose of evangelism, the purpose of mission, is to make disciples. I mean, look back at the very end of Matthew chapter 28 when the Lord Jesus is ascending to his Father in heaven, and he gives the great commission to the church, and he says, go into the into the world and make disciples of all nations. He says, go, make disciples, teach them. So the the antidote to futility of mind and corruption of life 
is to be introduced to Jesus and to grow in Jesus, to learn about Jesus, to be discipled in Jesus. You know, if, if, if I had a hope for Metrocrest in the years to come, it would be that we would grow as a discipling church, a, a discipled church that seeks to disciple others. Um, Will made a, an announcement a few minutes ago about our children's Sunday school, our youth Sunday school, and our adult Sunday school. Um, you know, that is a central thing of life at Metrocrest. Uh, we believe in discipling our little ones and our not-so-little ones and our big ones. We believe in discipleship. We believe in learning. And it's, it's something that goes on for life. Uh, my son, William, went to uh, the University of Virginia, and the founder of that great school was a man named Thomas Jefferson. And if you go to the University of Virginia, you don't have freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Uh, Jefferson said that's inadequate because the, the whole of life is meant to be your university. The whole of life is meant to be your school. So at UVA, it's first year, second year, third year, fourth year, and the rest of your life. The rest of your life. And I like that idea. The Christian life is a life of discipleship. God forbid we ever come to the mistaken conclusion that we've learned everything we need to learn. That's one of the reasons I decided it 63, almost 64 years of age, out of seminary for 35 years, I'm going to go back and take Greek 1. Well, I hope all of us, all of us, in whatever way we are able to do it, that we will renew our commitment to discipleship, that we will renew our commitment to learning about Jesus, learning in Jesus, to share fellowship with one another. If you haven't been to Will's class, ask anybody who has. It is a wonderful opportunity to reflect on the title of the book is Gentle and Lowly. It's about the character of Christ. It's about his heart. Can you imagine a more wonderful thing to learn about and to reflect on in the graduate school of life than the character and the person of Jesus? Can we learn that too much? Can we learn too much about him? Is there ever a point when we've mastered Jesus and we can move on to something else? No, Jesus is lifelong. We will be learning things about Jesus the day we die because his love and his mercy and his goodness and his gentleness and his faithfulness to us is infinite. It literally extends into eternity. From eternity into eternity. It is literally infinite. We can never learn all there is to know about Jesus. So the renewed mind. Um, some of you uh, know R.C. Sproul. Um, I've lost track of the number of people I know who said they made significant strides in their walk of faith through the ministry of the late R.C. Sproul. I'm one of them. I'd been a Christian for a while. I'd read some books. But it was Dr. R.C. Sproul who brought a new depth, a new way of thinking, brought new ways, themes into my mind. Well, you know what the name of 
R.C. Sproul's ministry is renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. That's what it's called to this day. He's with Jesus now, but his ministry, renewing your mind, is still trying to do that. Help Christians renew their minds. They're going to be starting a new men's study. I haven't set a date yet, but they're going to be studying a book called Rediscovering Humility, Why the Way Up is Down. Men will be gathering together. Uh, a new member of our church, uh, Christian Stewart's volunteered to lead this discussion. Uh, it'll be a group of men gathering together to read this book together and to discuss it and think about it and apply it. You know, one of the things about school, you can do some things online. Uh, you can do some things online. You can do some meaningful things online. But one of the things about school that is so important and so valuable, and the more you can get of this, the better, is it's not just reading a book. That's good. But it's reading a book with others and reflecting on it and discussing it and thinking about it. And all of a sudden, you're hearing not only your own thoughts, but you're hearing the thoughts of X number of other people. And one of the purposes of church, one of the things we're called to be, is this discipling community where we get together. And it's not just a lecture from one person. It's lived out discipleship. It's us talking and thinking and praying and reflecting and pushing back and learning and unlearning and relearning. It's this ongoing process. It's, it's like a big graduate class full of discussion with people who are at different points in their life and their different points of discipleship, learning from each other. That's why every care group at Metrochrist is encouraged to have a discipling edge to it. We're all encouraged to to be discipled and to disciple one another. Can't do that all by yourself. Can't have a graduate class of one. <laughs> That's very boring and not very productive. Now, where you really get it is, is a community of people where we're wrestling with these things together. Well, that's what Paul calls renewing the mind. That's what he means when he says uh, being taught in Christ. The truth is in Jesus. It's a prayer I have for this church. You can find a few resources out in the lobby. I've got this book, Table Talk. We've just got the new issue for August. Misunderstood biblical words and phrases. Get the book. Read it. And discuss it with your spouse or a friend, or a classmate, or someone here at church, let it percolate in your mind. And that's the way our minds are renewed. He talks about the spirit. He talks about being renewed in the spirit of our minds, verse 23. It is intellectual, but it's more than intellectual. It's, it's the spirit of our minds. It, it, it's the, this interaction between our intellectual capacity and this transformative level in our thinking where uh, the spirit of our lives is affected where the, the mind begins to shape the will and the desire and the understanding I mean he's already used these words if you look up at verse 13 he talks about attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ this idea of understanding, knowledge in the spirit of our minds, which begins to percolate 
And finally, point four, this uh, renewed mind leads, he says, to a transformed life. Look at verse 16. Uh, from whom the whole body, this is talking about Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every, oh, sorry, uh, look down the page to verse uh, 22. Uh, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See that the renewed mind percolates through our lives and transforms us. It's not something that happens instantaneously. The the coming of the Holy Spirit, the turning to Christ, the hearing about Jesus, those are instantaneous things. But the transformation is a lifetime thing. It's, It's the slow transformation of a broken down sinner with sinful thoughts and darkened thinking over time transformed well Paul says transformed into the likeness of God to be transformed into the likeness of God created after his likeness in true righteousness true holiness it's not, a, it's not a checklist. It's not a few to-do items. It's the transformation of our lives through our minds, through the spirit of our minds. Over time, God gets hold of us and changes us into the image of his son, into the image of himself. True righteousness, true holiness. We're not saved through the transformation. We're saved through the gospel, through the saving work of the Holy Spirit. We're saved, but we're saved for this new life. We're saved for this transformation. And as Paul is talking to this church he loves so much, as I'm talking to y'all, my hope is that we will be saved people being transformed together as we learn about Jesus And as we share what we learn about him with other people. Because a transformed life is like that. You know what the most evangelistic thing you can possibly do? The most missional thing you can possibly do? It's to allow yourself to become transformed. To become the magnetic representation of Jesus. Our families, our churches, and each of us as individuals. We become the tool God uses to bring other people to himself. Your transformed life. And I don't mean by that being holier than thou and telling other people what to do. I mean being a caring person and a loving person in an uncaring and unloving world. To be a patient person in an impatient world. To be a tolerant and kind person in an intolerant and unkind world. That is our mission, and yet it's also the fulfillment of the transformative work of God in our own lives. Transforming me so that I can help reach out to others. And you too, we're all together forming this magnetic community, the body of Christ, which draws people to Jesus. It's an amazing picture of church life. And yes, Will, it's not something you go to. It's something we're called to be. 
We're called to be that magnetic, loving community, the body of Christ, to put on that new self as our minds are renewed, to cast off that old self, that old, ignorant, darkened, confused self, the corrupt self, to become more like God himself.